I thought the armor I wore would stop the feeling of overwhelm, but the armor keeps the overwhelm. I'm scared of letting go of who or what people actually are, and that distance keeps me safe. I thought if I'm alone, I don't have to feel, but I was building a false reality. Now I can stop blaming other people. It's not their fault that I feel the way I feel. I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. I wanted to lead with that quote today. That was a light bulb moment that happened with one of my brilliant clients the other day. This individual was describing their experience around the holidays and spending time with their family. We had worked on forgiveness and setting expectations so that they could feel a bit more comfortable during family visits. This past week, the session started with excitement as this individual realized that the perceptions and feelings and thoughts about their family members weren't necessarily true, but were built in a false reality that they created in order to protect themselves from being overwhelmed and hurt. This individual had spent so much time in this false reality, years, that they convinced themselves that the people in their life were sort of enemies, ready to attack in any moment. I'm sure many of us can relate to that, right? They put on armor for many years that gave an illusory sense of control and calm. After this visit with family, the realization that the armor the distance, the false reality didn't actually keep them safe and calm was huge because it deconstructed the narrative that held the false reality in place or the need to escape into a false reality. So with that context, I just want to read it again. I thought the armor I wore would stop the feeling of overwhelm, but the armor keeps the overwhelm. I'm scared of letting go of who or what people actually are, and that distance keeps me safe. I thought if I'm alone, I don't have to feel, but I was building a false reality. Now I can stop blaming other people. It's not their fault I feel the way I feel. So now the direction of the sessions and what we're going to talk about on the podcast today is this need to answer the question of how. How do I get rid of the need to have a false reality to escape to so I can begin to truly live in actual reality? This is the focus of today's episode, how to let go of your, what I like to call, escape clause. Life is hard, right? People say that all the time. Life is hard. For the BPD, EUPD, CPTSD perception, that is an understatement. A life of trauma, invalidation, hypervigilance, and deep-seated emotional pain and fear of being left or abandoned is more than hard. Life is hard for these, those normal folks, so the need to escape the reality of the harshness of life seems almost necessary. So, it seems to me that we all have an escape clause, fine print on life. That states that if this gets uncomfortable at any moment in time, I can escape. 
So I ask you today, listeners, what is your escape clause? What do you do? What does the fine print say? My theory is that everyone has an escape clause, but what it looks like depends on your own individual experiences. For example, maybe you engage in suicidal ideation or fantasy almost. Whenever you feel overwhelmed, you start thinking about harming yourself. Maybe you learn to daydream. Maybe you become hyper-focused on needing to be in a hospital or a partial program. Many of you have intense trauma and your escape cause behavior began a long time ago. Daydreaming or living in a fantasy world can be protective for a child, right? Especially a child who is experiencing trauma. Even fantasizing about suicide can be protective for a child who has trauma as a young child or a teen or a young adult or whatever the age of the trauma occurred. Some people have escape clauses related to relationships. For example, when they fall in love with someone, the devaluing is a sort of escape clause. If I have one foot in the door of a relationship and one foot out of the door, then I can escape at any time. I can love my partner when I feel good inside, but when they do something that appears that they will leave me, betray me, break my trust, I can start hurting them or accusing them of something or picking them apart. I can even test them by running away or storming off or something like that. Maybe I even start fantasizing about an ex or someone else I've been with and thinking that that person could meet my needs and I should have stayed with that person. So there's always a way out, as you can see. In all of my examples, there's some fine print and escape clause. Life gets too BPD hard and feels like the sky is falling. So what is the antidote to the escape clause? How do we get around it? I feel like first I need to give an example in my own life. and Maybe that's just for me. (laughs) So I'm a mother, a wife, a dog mom, a business owner a clinician, a coach, and an individual on an everyday basis. These are the roles that I would need to fulfill, right, if I was going to truly live. So let's say that my escape clause is another life and maybe another relationship whenever Jay or my son upset me. Maybe I start to fantasize about someone else or about living alone even, or like when Boomer, he's our senior dog, sometimes he'll like poop on the floor. Maybe I start to fantasize about not having dogs or just, you know, not having anyone around me. So I always have this one foot in my life and then one foot out of my life. So I can just escape whenever I want. How do you suppose my life were were to go if I were to do that? What do you think? Well, I'll tell you, not very good. I would be so unhappy, so lost, so anxious, I would never feel like I fit in or like I had control, even though there would be times where I'd convinced myself that the fantasy provided me control. So I lived like this once. I did, before recovery. And what I had to do was to just lean into the roles I play in life and put both feet in. 
Last week, we talked about role models, if you remember, and Matthew McConaughey. So he has this way of looking at roles that I really like, actually. He says something along the lines of that the roles we play in life can be thought of as a system of checks and balances. If one is out of whack, they all are. Something like that. So if I list out all of my roles, I have to make sure that I create balance in my everyday life by balancing each role and attending to each in this balanced way on an everyday basis. So as a mom, for example, I make sure to spend time with my son, teach him things when homeschooling. As a wife, I make sure to connect with my partner and provide him with support where needed. As a dog mom, I make sure that my dogs are fed and my German Shepherd has adequate stimulation. As a business owner, I have to make sure that things are sort of running smoothly. As a clinician or a coach, I make sure that I offer my best self to my clients during session. And as an individual, well, I want to read or work out or relax or play basketball. So if I lean into, or dare I say submit, right? This is not sort of this abusive way of submitting. If I just give in to like submit or give in to all of these roles and I do it in a balanced way, well, for one, I don't have the time to spend in that fantasy or false reality. And I commit to actually living. And two, I begin to add structure to my life, which is very important for us. Structure is key. So I gain this real sense of control by defining my roles, putting boundaries on them, and balancing things out. So if things get hard, I can go into the individual role for a short time and take time for me and to refocus versus going into this fantasy sort of escape plan or escape clause where I'm completely leaving life and then creating my own reality. So I want to give you a step-by-step guide to try to practice this antidote method to your escape clause. The first step in the process of letting go of your escape clause is, of course, identifying the behaviors that you engage in to escape when things get hard or overwhelming. It also takes some admitting. So if you are having a hard time identifying the behaviors, definitely seek some coaching or good clinical support to help you figure it out. The ones I mentioned on the podcast, maybe they apply to you. So go ahead back and listen to the previous segment to see if any of those apply to you. Number two, next, is it, in, it is important to understand that letting go completely of the escape clause is likely unrealistic because that would require you to already have this sense of trust in yourself and in the world around you, which is some, very difficult with having the trauma that you know, you've most likely experienced. So I just want you to imagine putting your escape clause in a box, locking it up and shelving it, put it away, put it on a shelf. Now that you know that you have it on a shelf, you know that you can go to it whenever you want to. And you have to now sort of make a commitment to keep the escape clause in the box, tucked safely away, you know, just in case. But you want to determine how much time you're willing to do that for. And it has to be sort of a certain amount of time. 
Some clients have chosen 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. How long are you willing to keep your escape clause in a box on a shelf? How long can you reasonably commit to? Next, step three is, you know, once you've figured that out, make a list of the roles that you need to fill on an everyday basis. Is it student, employee, friend, partner, individual, sister, daughter? In that example, do you have readings or homework to do or class to attend as a student? As an employee, do you have to show up at work at a certain time and focus on your job for a certain amount of time? How about for a friend? Should you be checking in on your friend, seeing what they're doing, giving them a call, a text, a Snapchat? A snap. <laughs> Whoops. How about your partner? Did you text them, call them, make them some food? As a sister, did you check in with your sister, ask about their day? How about your mom, your parents? As an individual, what have you done for you? And are all of those tasks balanced? For example, did you spend, do you spend all day at work and you kind of work outside of the, you know, you spend all day at work or you spend all day at school and you're working outside of work hours or school hours and overworking yourself so you feel burnout and exhausted at the end of the day? Well, kind of determine how you can create more balance so you don't end up becoming overwhelmed. What time can you stop doing your work to kind of focus in and create that system of checks and balance so you can have a more balanced set of roles that you're sort of defining? What if it's like mother, partner, individual? What do you have to do every day as a mother, as a partner? What can you do as an individual? List out all of your roles and the things you need to to do, excuse me, to fulfill the roles in each relationship. If you need help or more examples, go ahead back and listen to the previous segment earlier in the episode of my example. All right. Next, with the escape clause easily accessible but on that shelf, you should have a commitment to, let's say, 90 days of committing to leaning into the roles that you need to play in your life. If you feel overwhelmed, Ensure that each role is taken care of and attended to daily. Lean into it. Give into it. Submit to it. If you find yourself lost in your mind, remember to use your system of checks and balances and use that time that's spent for you to reset and relax. Jump into life with two feet knowing that you control this new reality. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you want to get more in-depth into this or any other concept I talk about on the podcast, head on over to thriveonlinecounseling.com and schedule a session with me today. All right, now for the Q&A. Today's Q&A is actually a common question that I get from many clients and from emails from those of you out there listening. So I know that I talk about exercise as being this um, really great tool for emotion regulation, for preventative care, and then also to turn down that emotionally intense dial that you may experience if you're having that episode or an itch to have an emotionally intense moment. 
many of you have concern about this because exercising makes you feel physically uncomfortable. I know a few people have told me that when they start to sweat, their whole body begins to itch. Um, I know for myself, when I start to, my, you know, my heart rate starts to elevate, I feel like, you know, almost, um, well, to be honest with you, I always look down at my Fitbit to see how high my heart rate is because it feels like it's off the charts high and really it's only at, you know, 110 if I'm starting into that cardio state, whereas perhaps it feels like it's at 140, 150, right? Other people experience this feeling of panic or, you know, anxiety or feeling out of breath or shortness of breath when they start to exercise. Now, a long time ago when I first met Jay, I felt that as well, this in, this um, connection between intense physical discomfort and panic, right? So we, I want to address today just sort of how to overcome that. So the individual who had told me that sweating and kind of like induces this all over body itching, we talked about leaning into exercise. This is like my phrase of the episode, right? Leaning into. So instead of going out and running or going to take that hot yoga class or, you know, even maybe yoga in general, I asked this individual to expose herself to exercise in a calm way, something that she knew in her mind she could handle, and to do that daily so that she could build up her tolerance to the physical discomfort that comes with exercise. So this plan has really worked. This individual has jumped two feet in and they will walk daily and then they sort of started to ride a stationary bike and then work out in the home. And eventually, they got to the point where they could ride a bike for miles on an island where it was warm and they were sweating and it was okay. But it took time to expose themselves to what it feels like when their body has is physically uncomfortable. You know, when I think of the hyperbolic temperament, I do relate that to biology, to our biological presentation, because, you know, a lot of the times the things we experience in terms of that hyperbole, hyperbolic thought patterns, etc. It does apply to our bodies. And maybe that's the brain body connection. You know, who knows? This isn't exactly scientific stuff I'm talking about here. I just know that this there's that connection between physical discomfort and panic. And so the idea is to expose yourself to things that you feel like you can handle and then increase the intensity of the exercise as you learn to tolerate the physical discomfort. I remember for myself, you know, like I said earlier, I would look at my Fitbit or my watch and think my heart rate was out of control. So what I've learned is, although these, you know, Fitbit devices aren't perfect, I've learned that I can't avoid exercise or shy away from exercise because I feel initially physically uncomfortable. This happens to me even now. I was joking the other day on the Facebook group or a week ago saying, gosh, I wish my Fitbit was hyperbolic. Because when I'm, you know, in the middle of an intense cardio workout, especially if it's a new one, I might think that my heart rate is like 200 or 199 and I'm panicking and I look at my watch and it's like, 
120, which for those of you out there into fitness, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, for others of you, one, you know, having a heart rate that's like 180, 170, that's really high. And it means you're sort of work, you're either not very fit or you're working out really hard. And you can start to feel like an intense feeling in your body. It's the best way to describe it. But when I look at my Fitbit, my Fitbit's actually saying, well, no, you know, you are feeling that way because you're hyperbolic. So your brain is sort of creating that from what it's feeling in your body, but you're actually okay. And that is how I gauge whether or not I can push myself more actually in my workouts. And Jay, of course, who will be occasionally standing there going, you're okay. Like you're fine. You can keep going. And maybe I'm like, no, I can't. And I do. So what's the point of all this? If you feel physically uncomfortable and panicky when you go to start to exercise, choose an activity that you can wrap your mind around doing and do that over and over again and start to amp up the intensity as you feel more comfortable with the physical discomfort. All right. Awesome. So I hope that's helpful, everyone. If you have a question, as always, submit that to me at thriveonlinecounseling.com. I know I have a long list of questions already that I'm going to be answering in the upcoming episodes. So thank you for listening, and I will see you next week. Okay, thanks for listening. That was from Borderline and Beautiful, a production of Thrive Mind Body LLC, online coaching that helps frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or any app that you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from the last episodes, and I'd love to hear whatever questions you have, too. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. We'll have all those links in the show description. Okay, we made it. Thanks again for listening. I'm Rose Skeeters, and I'll be back next week with another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Talk to you then.